This week on InfoSec Inc., we're winding down from the National Cyber Summit. Carrie Poole, North Alabama Chapter of ISSA, joins us, along with Jason Cuneo, Chief Technology Officer and owner of Focal Point Security. What's the deal with net neutrality? And the frequency hopping transmitter to secure IoT? All these stories and more are coming up. So get ready to get in sync with InfoSec Inc. Hello, and welcome to the 35th episode of the InfoSec Sync podcast, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas. And give us 60 minutes, and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H.net. And now, for Stories of the Week, ending June 15, 2018. What's up, InfoSexing fam? Hey, welcome back for another exciting episode. We've been gone for a while, but now we're back in full force. We are just coming off the 10th Annual National Cyber Summit here in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. We're coming to you today on a Thursday afternoon from Calhoun Community College. So a big shout out to Mr. Nick Agrawal for uh, letting InfoSec Sync uh, come in here and um, give you the latest news. So in the studio here tonight, we have uh, Mr. Kerry Poole. Kerry is a fixture here in Huntsville. He is the North Alabama chapter ISSA president. He is also the National Cyber Summit president. And he's actually a human hat stand. (laughs) (laughs) What's up? How you doing? And the second person I have in here is Mr. Jason Cuneo, another uh, Huntsville big cyber person here. He just started a brand new company and they're taking it by storm here in Huntsville and across the nation. He is the Chief Technology Officer and owner of Focal Point Security. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Nick, for inviting me. Glad to be here, man. It's great having both you guys here. So we just got through the busiest week here in Huntsville with the Cyber Summit. Um, Carrie, since you're the Cyber Summit President, the National Cyber Summit President, tell our, uh, our listeners here how big it was this year. So we had our largest attendance yet. It's 2,204 attendees is the official number. Uh, We had over 111 vendors show up this time. Uh, More speakers. We had three different technical tracks. Uh, One of them was advanced manufacturing. So we got deep into PLCs and security and things like that. Uh, And another was in finance. So we actually had... uh, a lot of big banks show up. It was very interesting uh, to see that crowd show up and, and get to hear about all the security. So yeah, we were, we were breaking silos left and right, getting, getting the, the manufacturers to talk to the finance people and the finance people talking to the, the government security, NSA, NICE, FBI. It was great. Wow. So I've been in Huntsville now, I think about two, maybe three years, but I've gone to the Cyber Summit three times and I've noticed that... Um, it was bigger this year uh, than Way the previous bigger. two years. So I think last year you were at, what, 15, 1,600? Yeah, just over 1,500, just under 16. And this year you're at 22. 22, 20, yeah, 2,204. So what do you attribute that to, that increase? So 
I mean, we're this is our 10th anniversary as the National Cyber Summit. We took a really big focus this year uh, on trying to get a formal call for speakers out, increase the technical value of the summit. You know, uh, we have a lot more. We have the job fair that's that's in there. We have the three different technical tracks. We had a classified track for those of you with a clearance. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, we've just been really focusing on the value and trying to get the word out. So uh, just, I think it's I think it's getting grip taken off, right? We, yeah, yeah, definitely. I noticed um, uh, there was a portion when um, there was this group in the middle. I guess it's a whole uh, looked like it was a bunch of women. They had actually uh, they had wine and oh, and yeah. ice cream. They were uh, keeping the, people pretty cool and they calm. They were the talk of the town, right? Yeah, there, there were there were lines running through the whole summit for that free ice cream <laughs> and wine. That was hilarious. Yeah, Cyber Reach. Angela Rittenbach here in town has uh, started a new international organization trying to reach out to. Uh, minorities and get everybody in there there's a lot of a lot of inherent con things in the market that that either don't attract or push out people so she's trying to bring everybody together make us stronger together uh, let companies understand how they can uh, recruit from everyone instead of just a slice of the population and you know in the end the computer doesn't care who's typing at it so why should we <laughs> Uh, that, that's, that's very good. Very good there. So, um, Jason, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your company and what you do here in Huntsville as well for some of your clients around the nation. Sure. Well, we, uh, actually, um, going back to a little bit of what, uh, Carrie was talking about to, uh, to the summit, one of the very exciting things that we had, uh, happen for us is, um, we were asked to, uh, provide a, a day long course, um, uh, the day before the summit started relative to blockchain technologies, being able to like introduce people to hands-on uh, applications and be able to see the kinds of neat things that are developing in that environment. Obviously, people are very familiar hearing about all the different cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and so forth, that are going on um, you know, for a very long time since, uh, since the first white paper on it came, back, uh, came out in 08, 09. And what's beautiful about it is we saw a fantastic uh, a number of folks that came out. We're very excited about the results, and um, hopefully we'll uh, continue to see that kind of uh, enthusiasm as, as things move forward. But um, that's one of the things that my company does. We have a, a lot of uh, practical applications with those sort of things. Uh, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify some of the more um, inherent types of uh, vulnerability assessment and identification of security gaps within organizations. We're trying to go in uh, for companies that have no idea whatsoever about what cybersecurity is. We're trying to give them the groundwork to get them up to a level of proficiency that at least gives them a, an idea of the types of threats that they have against them right now because I think a lot of organizations simply don't. And what we're trying to do is have a little bit of a different take on things and not make it... Um, as uh, mechanistic as some of the other, um, you know, vulnerability types of assessments that go on, especially with compliance and all of the other issues that we've, we're seeing in the marketplace right mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. all, all good stuff. Um, I know you recently uh, won a contract here in Huntsville. Uh, was it for the city? Uh, yeah, so actually we uh, we got brought in as a sub to uh, support uh, all points um, uh, logistics uh, in support of the uh, city of Huntsville assessment. 
and uh, we're able to go in and uh, run a number of different activities to identify issues uh, relative to the city. So we were very uh, excited about working with uh, the ITS group uh, and give them some uh, some good pointers on uh, trying to identify good things um, and uh, make some make some changes. So we're very excited about that opportunity. Uh, and some other things have come up as well. A lot of uh, clear defense contractors have been kind of seeking us out to help out with their uh, security assessments uh, relative to uh, uh, some of the compliance activities that are going on, NIST-related and so forth. So that's been working out pretty well for us, too. Yeah, Dr. Ron Ross was actually at the summit. He was one of the speakers, and I think that drew a big crowd. He and was amazing. He had a lot of... Uh, a lot of information. There's a lot of new NIST publications that are coming out. Actually, I think one was dropped today on CUI a day early. Yeah. Um, and I know there's some DFAR stuff that, that uh, contractors need to be compliant with. Um, and, you know, with, with the news that I'm going to read here in a minute about um, the Navy, I mean, you got to watch out when you're, you're a contractor. You need we to cover tighten yourself. This up. Yeah. We got to tighten this up. Well, keep in mind, you know, uh, people that feel like, oh, if I just take care of all these compliance requirements, you know, that's really just your lowest hanging that's fruit. That's the beginning. You know, I mean, it's just going to get you to a place where you at least have identified some of the basic uh, fundamentals, you know, the blocking and tackling. This is not even the real hardcore guys coming in conducting uh, straight up attack against the system. Uh, so I think it's kind of a two-faceted thing. you got to kind of approach one successfully and then go in and take a look at some other areas as well. Awesome, guys. Well, um, well, welcome to the show, and uh, let me get through some news here, all right? And and we'll get your comments after after each section that we go through here. So, up first is uh, Microsoft's Patch Tuesday. Their updates for June 2018 address a total of 50 vulnerabilities, including a dozen critical remote code execution flaws affecting Windows and the company's Edge and Internet Explorer web browsers. Uh, none of the security holes patched this month appear to have been exploited for malicious purposes, but one of them has been publicly disclosed before the release of a fix. The disclosed vulnerability is a use after free issue that allows an attacker to execute arbitrary code if they can convince the targeted user to open a malicious web page or file. The weakness was reported to Microsoft through Trend Micro's Zero Day Initiative, ZDI, which made some details public after its 120 day deadline expired. The list of critical vulnerabilities also includes CVE 2018-8225, which impacts the Windows DNS component DNSAPI.dll. An attacker can leverage this flaw to execute arbitrary code in the context of a local system account by using a malicious DNS server to send specifically crafted DNS responses to the targeted system. Another critical RCE flaw, which Microsoft believes could be exploited in the wild at some point, is 2018-8251. And this impacts the Windows Media Foundation component. An attacker can exploit this flaw to take complete control of a system by getting the targeted user to open a malicious web page or document. And that's not pretty hard, right? <laughs> These days. A security hole affecting the HTTP protocol stack, uh, HTTP.sys, allows remote code execution by sending a spe specifically crafted packet to the targeted server. While the flaw can be exploited without authentication and is considered critical, Microsoft believes exploitation is less likely. The latest security updates also resolve a privilege escalation vulnerability affecting the Cortana voice assistant. Do you guys use that Cortana voice no, at all? No, turn her off. Turn her off? <laughs> the flaw related to an issue disclosed earlier this year by researchers Amachi Shulman and Tal Bieri 
has been classified as important as exploitation requires physical or console access, and the targeted system needs to have Cortana enabled. Microsoft also released some mitigations for the recently disclosed variant 4 of the Spectre meltdown vulnerabilities. Adobe has yet to release any Patch Tuesday updates, but the company did resolve a Flash Player Zero Day vulnerability earlier this month. The researchers who came across the exploit revealed that the flaw had been leveraged in attacks aimed at entities in the Middle East. What do you guys think about that? I saw somebody on uh, LinkedIn who said, uh, you're still using Flash? <laughs> <laughs> Flash is a virus. Yeah, it? man. So... <laughs> It's all a matter of, uh, you know, what kind of applications, you know, you really absolutely need. I think what it comes down to is identifying um, uh, effective whitelisting, um, practical application within the organization it does help uh, to at least identify ahead of time the types of things you're going to allow with, uh, within your particular network. I haven't seen an AV detect anything in years. I think bottom line, it comes down to whitelisting, right? You, you know what you need. That's it. You know what you need. Absolutely. Right? So default deny, right? It goes back to basics, right? So this just in, right? So we had a Facebook data center coming into Huntsville now. Oh, good news! That just got announced. Wow, seven hundred and fifty million dollar data center. You want to um, you want to take the lead on that one? Sure. Uh, just uh, reading here from uh, AL.com. Uh, just got announced. We got a seven hundred and fifty million dollar data center. Coming to Huntsville, approved uh, two weeks ago by Huntsville City Council under the guise of a masking name. So they just revealed it, uh, and it's a Facebook data center. So let's see, where, where's this thing going to be? Uh, I can't tell where this is going to be. What I find interesting about this entire thing is, uh, in very short order, what we've seen is uh, organizations like uh, Simple Helix, uh, DC Blocks, now oh, Facebook... Yeah. Now what you're starting to see is we're going to wind up being a, a hub of immense uh, popularity, uh, which is going to be of great benefit. And think about it from a security perspective. You're going to need security practitioners to be in there actually conducting real-world um, identification and assessment of what those challenges for those organizations are going to be. So I think from the security community, it's going to be really uh, important for us to identify those things quickly. This is very exciting news for Huntsville yeah. and it's Madison huge. County and everything. It's really huge. Yeah, it's going to the North Huntsville Industrial Park. They claim it's going to provide about uh, 100 jobs. Carrie, any, uh, did they say when? No, I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't see the date. It was okay. 6. So they just made the announcement today. Yeah, $6.6 million is the incentive package from Huntsville. But, I mean, th this all boils down to this is fallout from Huntsville jumping forward with Google Fiber and winning that and getting all that fiber in place. Yeah, true. That's, that's true. Shout out the city of Huntsville. Win wins on top, to, on top of wins. Thanks, Mayor Battle, right? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next topic. Um, earlier this month, Cisco uh, issued 28 security updates to patch vulnerabilities found in a variety of products including two critical bugs that were assigned a CVSS base score of 9.8. The first critical impact bug, 2018-0321, consists of an insecure open port found in the network interface and config engine, NICE, service of Cisco Prime Collaboration Provisioning, releases 11.6 and earlier. According to a Cisco advisory, the flaw can allow an unauthenticated remote attacker to access the Java remote method invocation 
otherwise known as rim system. An attacker could exploit this vulnerability by accessing the open RMI system on an affected PCP instance. An exploit could allow the attacker to perform malicious actions that affect PCP and the devices that are connected to it. Overall, Cisco fixed a total of seven vulnerabilities in PCP, six of which were rated high impact or worse. The other uh, critical bug is CVE 2018-0315, a remote code execution and denial of service vulnerability found in the authentication, authorization, and account security services of certain releases of Cisco IOS XE software. Another Cisco advisory says the problem is caused by incorrect memory operations that the affected software performs when the software parses a username during login authentication. An attacker could exploit this vulnerability by attempting to authenticate to an affected device. Affected devices are those that are running Cisco IOS XE software release Fuji 16.7.1 or Fuji 16.8.1 and are configured to use AAA for login authentication. So make sure you patch your uh, your Cisco boxes there. And there's 28 security updates this month. You guys patch your boxes today or earlier this week? Oh yeah, but you got to keep all that stuff updated. We had uh, you know it wasn't long ago when the uh, FBI sent out the announcement about Russian trying to get into everyone's routers. So Absolutely. check your firmwares. All right, and with that, uh, we'll take a break. VicTech provides information assurance solutions that result in higher efficiency and protection in defense of their clientele. Their expertise in information security controls and the CNA processes, such as the Risk Management Framework, NIST 837, and supporting lifecycle processes, is why commercial and government entities trust and rely on their solutions. VicTech combines innovative business practices and strategies with their technical expertise and base their own success on customers achieving their goals. Visit them on the web today at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net. And we're back. So uh, the next story, the Washington Post reported this week that China hacked a Navy contractor and secured a trove of highly sensitive data on submarine warfare. Um, sealing massive amounts of highly sensitive data related to undersea warfare, including secret plans to develop a supersonic anti-ship missile for use on U.S. submarines by 2020. The breaches occurred in January and February, the official said, speaking on the condition of anonymity, anonymity sorry, to discuss an ongoing investigation. The hackers targeted a contractor who works for the Naval Undersea Warfare Center, a military organization headquartered in Newport, Rhode Island, that conducts research and development for submarines and underwater weaponry. The officials did not identify the contractor. Taken were 614 gigabytes of material relating to a closely held project known as Sea Dragon, as well as signals and sensor data, submarine radio room information relating to cryptographic systems, and the Navy Submarine Development Unit's electronic warfare library. The Washington Post agreed to withhold certain details about the compromised missile project at the request of the Navy, which argued that their release could harm national security. The data stolen was of a highly sensitive nature despite being housed on the contractor's unclassified network. The official said the material, when aggregated, could be considered classified, a fact that raises concern about the Navy's ability to oversee contractors tasked with developing cutting-edge weapons. The breach is part of China's long-running effort to blunt the U.S. advantage in military technology and become the preeminent power in East Asia. 
The news comes as the Trump administration is seeking to secure Beijing's support in persuading North Korea to give up nuclear weapons, even as tensions persist between the United States and China over trade and defense matters. The Navy is leading the investigation into the breach with the assistance of the FBI. The FBI declined to comment. On Friday, the Pentagon Inspector General's office said that Defense Secretary Jim Mattis had asked it to review contractor cybersecurity issues arising from the Post story. Commander Bill Speaks, a Navy spokesman, said that there are measures in place that require companies to notify the government when a cyber incident has occurred that has actual or potential adverse effects on their networks that contain controlled, unclassified information. Speaks said that it would be inappropriate to discuss further details at this time. Altogether, details on hundreds of mechanical and software systems were compromised, a significant breach and a critical area of warfare that China has identified as a priority, both for building its own capabilities and challenging those of the United States. So, so let me get this right, right? So China knows what they did, China knows what they took, and we're not going to talk to each other. I think that's what's going on, right? <laughs> All right. All right. All right. That, that sounds like a great, great idea. We can fix this. <laughs> Jason, get your company out there. Come on, man. Dude, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just one man. Just one guy. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just one man with a lot of 1099 support. Well, we just got to put you in a so, container and then clone you. Yes, that's right. That's right. And it's doable. I mean, if, if the Matrix proved anything, we can do that. Yeah, Elon says we're already in one, so <laughs> So this, this next story, uh, Carrie's going to love this next story. It's about net neutrality. And um, it was officially repealed. So here's what that really means. So Monday marks the official end of the federal government's net neutrality rules. The Obama-era regulations that said internet providers can't block or slow down websites or prioritize their content over others. It's a turning point for internet policy and the web as a whole as broadband providers will enjoy additional freedom to seek new ways of making money in a rapidly changing market. With the rules coming off the books, how is your internet experience likely to change? Here's what you need to know. Net neutrality is an idea about equal access to internet content. Under its principles, internet providers should not interfere with your ability to reach the websites, apps, or services of your choice. If you're a fan of Netflix, for example, net neutrality holds that you should be able to watch its shows without running into impediments your ISP or internet service provider puts up that are designed to push you toward a competing service such as Hulu. Many supporters of net neutrality also interpret the concept to mean that broadband companies shouldn't offer online companies, quote, fast lanes or faster delivery to internet users' devices, particularly if it involves extra fees the websites must pay for the special treatment. That tactic, which experts called paid prioritization, runs the risk of creating an uneven playing field where big, dominant internet companies can afford the fast lanes while startups or small businesses get left behind. So what were the rules? In 2015, the FCC sought to codify these principles into formalized regulation. Led by its then Democratic chairman, Tom Wheeler, the FCC approved rules that banned the blocking and slowing of web content by internet providers. A third rule banned the practice of paid prioritization, and a fourth provision, a general conduct standard, gave the FCC the ability to investigate broadband practices it believed could be problematic. So why are the rules going away? So last December, the FCC under Republican Chairman Ajit Pai voted to roll back the rules. 
Pai, who had been a commissioner when the rules were approved, is a longtime critic of the policy. He has argued that the regulations are too restrictive on businesses and discouraged and discourage them from investing in network upgrades that can make your internet service faster and better. Although the vote occurred months ago, it took time for the results to take effect. That's why the rules are only expiring now. So here's the impact of the repeal. The end of the bans on blocking, slowing, and paid prioritization means your internet providers will be free to engage in that activity without legal repercussions so long as they disclose it on their uh, websites or to the FCC. The repeal effectively narrows what the federal government would consider a net neutrality violation. Under the old policy, any blocking or slowing of websites would directly run afoul of the rules, inviting immediate enforcement. Under the new policy, a violation might occur when regulators find out that an internet provider has been blocking websites without saying so. The new approach hands much of the responsibility for, for enforcing violations to the Federal Trade Commission, a sister agency. And in its repeal decision, the FCC explicitly rejects the idea that it has much authority to regulate internet providers at all. So, this goes on and on. What do you, what do you guys, what do you guys say? Well, <laughs> let's see. It, it's, I mean, it's classic deregulation, right? Right. What, what else do you expect from Republicans, right? That, that's, that's, that's what they do, right? They deregulate and let, let the, uh, the commercial uh, industry fight and play as they will. I mean, so... Under net neutrality, the commercial world couldn't come up with, say, free internet subsidized by ads. Because in order to do so, they'd have to manipulate your traffic and put ads in that weren't there before. That was not allowed under net neutrality. Now they could do that. Somebody could offer subsidized internet, completely free internet, subsidized by ads. Right? Watch my video. Now you can browse for so long, right? Well. They can do that. They couldn't do it before, right? There's lots of other ideas I'm sure they can come up with uh, now that we've pulled the shackles off of it. The only thing you got to watch out for is consolidation, restriction of choice. And then, then that comes down to, you know, uh, uh, being able to go into different organizations and identify, you know, we didn't have these rules for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden they're implemented, and in the three years that they're there, all of a sudden, they have you know have some sort of uh, uh, you know um, you know great capability to be able to say that we're controlling things. I just feel like that's a uh, uh, a direction that we don't want to go. I'm actually happy to see the the result of it. And the thing is, let's actually see what they wind up doing. Let's actually start to see which organizations start really putting the throttle down on on different uh, types of traffic and then make a determination at that point because I don't think that the uh, the proof uh, is 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 there to show that they're going yeah. to do that they yeah, ultimately so know that they're going to pay the price at the in the marketplace yeah so you want to monitor them right run your speed test right just go to Google type in speed test run it right then hop over to fast.com right this is a service run by Netflix and run their speed test. That speed test is only running over Netflix protocols. So if they're slowing down Netflix, there'll be a difference in your speed. Wow. It'll be obvious, right? Uh, and if, if you just, you know, I don't even want to run the speed test. I don't want to worry about it. Just go subscribe to a VPN service, right? Suddenly you've encrypted the entire uh, network tunnel. Good luck slowing you down, right? Yeah. They'd have to slow down all VPN service, and I don't think businesses would be happy about that. So you could protect yourself from this if you really want to. 
um, and you can detect it. It's kind of interesting you were talking about that, and, and this isn't so much net neutrality, but uh, you've seen different countries that are actually trying to ban the utilization of uh, VPN types of services, and you could un understand why that is, right? Um, now they would ultimately have the ability to be able to identify where that traffic's coming in, and of course all VPNs are not created the same. They're going to be right. those that are very effective in terms of their encryption protocols and what they're using, but then there's going to be other ones that are not as effective. Some of the earliest VPNs have very poor, you know, uh, encryption mechanisms. So um, I feel like um, this is one of those things that we should allow the market to figure itself out. And the less restrictions that we have, um, you know, this whole concept of fairness or whatever uh, will will work itself out. Yeah, if they start throttling, you'll just go to another provider. That That's right. You'll vote with your That's dollar. That's exactly yeah. right. You'll vote with your dollar. Exactly right. I mean, what this we we put these. What did you say, right? The internet existed before 2014. That's right. Yeah, that's sure right. Did, yeah. Right? Yeah. I so, mean, for all those years, I mean, the, the marketplace ultimately ran the decisions for how things were going to go. And and uh, people that were able to figure out more effective mechanisms to um, transmit data and become popular, Facebook, Twitter, you know, I mean, um, those things happen because of uh, people's inherent ideas of creating something new and interesting. And I think that um, just r regulation in general does nothing but, uh, you know, uh, prevent that from happening. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with all of that. The thing that, uh, the fear that I actually listen to is because I've seen it happen, we've seen this happen before, is it's not the service providers, it's not their price, right? It's the services that run through them when the service provider also wants to provide a similar service. So anybody remember ISIS? And I'm not talking about the terror group, right? <laughs> I'm talking about the T-Mobile, Verizon, yeah. Yeah. mobile phone payment system, right? That was before Apple Pay and Google Wallet, right? Who remembers Google Wallet? What the heck was that, right? It's Android Pay now. Well, Google Wallet never got a big audience because it was competing with the cell phone company's payment system, right? So is this going to block innovation of of anyone who's coming up with a new idea, if say Verizon wants to implement something similar and they don't want to buy that company, I don't know. We need we just need to be aware as consumers and uh, I would much rather have a free economy and just be a smart consumer than have a restricted economy uh, not allowing creativity. All right, and with that, um, take a short break and be right back. VicTech is a leader in developing security test plans and procedures and identifying the appropriate tools to support a certification test and evaluation effort. They work with software developers to ensure security software development practices are implemented. VicTech translates security policy and requirements into an IA configuration implementation that considers your operational environment. By implementing world-class cybersecurity solutions and working together as a partner, VicTech helps their clients meet and exceed their objectives. All right, and we're back with another story. Um, this one is uh, about some cryptocurrency. Um, a recently discovered piece of cryptocurrency miner malware isn't only abusing a NSA-linked remote execution code exploit to spread, but also abuses infected machines to scan for vulnerable IoT devices. It's dubbed Pyromine IoT. The malware is similar to the Pyromine cryptocurrency miner that was detailed in late April. Both mined from Monero, both are Python-based, and both use the eternal romance exploit for propagation purposes. 
The vulnerability was patched in April last year. The older threat, Fortinet's Jasper Manuel reveals, has received an update to add some obfuscation, likely in an attempt to evade detection from antivirus programs. The latest Pyramind variant is hosted on the same IP address, uh, 212.8390.122, was compiled with Pi installer into a standalone executable and continues to use the eternal romance implementation found on the exploit database website, the same as the initially analyzed variant. After a successful exploitation, an obfuscated VBS script is downloaded. The VB script has the same functionality as the previously used one, but features more organized code and also adds a version number. The same as before, it sets up a default account with the password p-add-ssw-0-r-d-f-0-r-m-e <laughs> and adds the account to the local group, administrators, remote desk users, and users, after which it enables RDP and adds a firewall rule <laughs> to allow traffic on port 3389. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The VB script also downloads other components, including a Monero miner called XMRig, but now uses randomly generated names for these files. The malware attempts to remove older versions of Pyromine from the system. You know, they gotta update, you know? You don't not want <laughs> Gotta the update version. your malware on a regular basis. One Patch of the, Tuesday, your malware. <laughs> <laughs> One of the pool addresses used by the malware suggests that the actors made around five Monero, about $850, from their nefarious activities. The malware has infected a large number of systems since April, with the top five effective countries being Singapore, India, Taiwan, um, Cotavari, and Australia. The newly discovered Pyromine IoT is similar to Pyromine, hence the similar naming. The threat is served from an obviously malicious looking website disguised as security updates for web browsers. The fake updates are downloaded as a .zip archive uh, that contains a downloader agent written in C-sharp. This agent fetches the minor field and other malicious components, including a Python-based malware that uh, leverages eternal romance to spread the downloader to vulnerable uh, machines in the network. The agent also fetches a component to steal user credentials from Chrome and another to scan for IoT devices in Iran and Saudi Arabia that use the admin, admin, username, and password pair. The eternal romance implementation uses the same code as Pyromine and works in a similar manner, collecting the IPs of local subnets and iterating through them to execute the payload. It uses the username AA with an empty password. The second component is part of the legitimate Chrome pass tool that allows users to recover passwords from the Chrome browser. As part of these attacks, it is, abu it is abused to steal credentials from unsuspecting users. The tool saves the recorded, uh, the recovered credentials in XML format and uploads the file to an account on DriveHQ's cloud storage service. The account has uh, been already disabled. The most interesting aspect of this malware, however, is its ability to search for vulnerable IoT devices, but it only targets those in Iran and Saudi Arabia for that. The threat sends the IP information of discovered devices to the attacker's server, supposedly in preparation for further attacks. The same as Pyromine, the malware downloads the XMRig miner on the compromised system. After checking one of the pool addresses used by the threat, the researcher discovered that it hasn't generated revenue yet. This, however, isn't surprising considering that the malware only started being distributed on June 6th of this year, 2018, and is an unfinished project. 
This development confirms yet again that malware authors are very interested in cryptocurrency mining, as well as in capturing a chunk of the IoT threat ecosystem. We predict that this threat will not fade away soon, but will continue as long as there are opportunities for the bad guys to easily earn money by targeting vulnerable machines and devices. And that was a quote from Fortinet. So, Cuneo, what do you think about this stuff? Wow. So, is that all it does? I don't think it does enough. I mean, I think they're they're missing out on some great opportunities to uh, hack into some systems. Uh, I think one of the things that uh, becomes very clear is you noticed uh, there's a lot of transitions from, uh, say, Bitcoin, Ethereum uh, as a utilization of uh, malware, cryptocurrency, to things like uh, Monero and some of the more uh, privacy coin-based um, uh, cryptocurrencies. And um, one of the things that you can do is um, with Bitcoin, all those transactions uh, for people that are using ransomware or whatever, you can actually see uh, on the blockchain um, in real time where those activities are, like uh, when people sent stuff to them, when they sent it out. And you can kind of uh, create a, a timeline of those things with Monero and some of the other ones. You can't do that. And so <clears throat> the other thing, too, is the inherent trust uh, for the peer-to-peer -peer software that underlines all cryptocurrencies, um, you're taking advantage of every level of trust that you possibly can imagine in order to get a hold of all those credentials and be able to do that. So, of course, peer-to-peer -peer has always been traditionally uh, taboo as far as people uh, on the security side. You know, if you're using peer-to-peer, -peer, go ahead and take it off. It's bad. You know, uh, but from a cryptocurrency standpoint, if you're doing legitimately, um, there's there's value to it. Unfortunately, these guys have abused that trust. So, and that kind of my take on a few few of those things. So what's the encryption in there? Is there any kind of quantum protection in that encryption? Uh, are you talking about like each of the transactions and like that in, sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, inside of Monero, do they have any quantum protection? Uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head the actual algorithm that uh, is used in order to um, uh, generate your wallet addresses and so forth. It'll come to me here in a second. Uh, but when you mine it in particular... Um, but it's literally developed so that you can't take a look at the activities that have occurred. And that's the whole purpose of it. Some people would say, well, that's an easy way to um, uh, circumvent the, the normal process so that you can't really be found out. But you're starting to see it with malware or with uh, ransomware. Um, had a couple of customers where we went in, identified some issues. And, um, you know, almost like what the FBI was saying months ago about just having to pay it instead of trying to break the break the encryption yeah. on the malware uh, or the ransomware. I keep saying that. But um, in any event, it's one of those things that's going to continue to be a challenge for us. And it's going to be making these guys a lot of money because they don't have to uh, buy their own hardware. They can literally just steal somebody else's CPU or I'm sorry, GPU or hardware utilization in order to make that happen. So. Yeah, it, it didn't sound like it had uh, gotten a good hold yet. What do they say? Five Monero? What is that, like 700 bucks or something? Yeah, it was yeah, like 860 yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, so yeah. we're not, not going to see a 51% attack <laughs> no, from any kind not of malware. It's, <laughs> it's very low. <laughs> but, you, you know, you think about it, there's a lot of really great projects that have been out there on the um, on blockchain side, and even the ones that are non-blockchain, you were talking about uh, Internet of Things, like IOTA and the ones that are using, um, you know, DAG in order to uh, implement uh, their solutions. 
So you're seeing a lot of really great solutions, but obviously it's like everything else with every, uh, with great power comes great responsibility as right. uh, Uncle Ben once said, right? So yeah, there's, there's nothing man has made, man can't mm -hmm. unmake. So. All right, on to the next story. Academic researchers say they have invented a transmitter that can secure billions of Internet of Things products by individually scattering each bit of data that a device wirelessly sends out onto different radio frequency channels, thus preventing attackers from intercepting a full packet and manipulating its data. In essence, the transmitter performs a new and improved version of a technique called frequency hopping, According to a press release issued by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, where the technology was developed, traditional frequency hopping breaks data down into large packets, but the process is just slow enough for adept hackers to still attack them. However, the new transmitter hops each individual one or zero bit to a unique random frequency every microsecond. Attackers simply cannot keep up with such a frenetic pace. The transmitter works by leveraging bulk acoustic wave BAW resonators, which can quickly shift between RF channel frequencies. Although BAW resonators typically only span 4 to 5 megahertz of frequency, frequency channels, the researchers were able to divide their resonators frequencies into about 80 channels, thereby making the technology viable. The researchers who additionally created a new wireless protocol capable of supporting this process have authored a paper about their breakthrough, which they are presenting at the IEEE Radio Frequency Integrated Circuit Symposium in Philadelphia. With the existing uh, current existing transmitter architecture, you won't be able to hop data bits at that speed with low power, says researcher Rabia Yazakil, postdoc in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science in MIT's release. By developing this protocol and radio frequency architecture together, we offer physical layer security for connectivity of everything, is what he said. He also adds that the transmitter uh, could secure, among other products, medical devices such as insulin pumps and pacemakers that could be attacked if a hacker wants to harm someone. MIT has identified the remaining research authors as Anatha Shander Kazan, Dean of MIT School of Engineering, and Vannevar Bush, Professor of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. Former MIT postdoc Philip Nadu, former MIT undergraduate student Daniel Richman, EECS graduate student Sharag Juvakar, and visiting research student Kapil Vadaya. Their work was supported by the Hong Kong Innovation and Technology Fund, the National Science Foundation, Texas Instruments, and the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company University Shuttle Program. So IoT, guys. Nest thermostats, pacemakers. Absolutely. Uh, lighting for your here. home. It's all here. <laughs> it's it all here. It reminds me a lot of just the way in which uh, the Internet and the set of protocols that was used to transfer data, like the early FTP, HTTP, things that were like really unencrypted and not very secured whatsoever. I think we're going through it's almost the exact same process. Okay, we're going through you. unencrypted protocols, unencrypted methodologies. Um, and then also unauthenticated. So if you kind of integrate those things in with IoT, once again, the whole point was to make it work, not to make it secure, but to allow people to be able to conduct business or you know do some transactions that were neat and interesting. And so for the next, I think, couple of years, there's going to be a lot of 
uh, developers as well as cybersecurity professionals are going to have to get in there and start rewriting the way in which those protocols are kind of um, you know laid out. Yeah, they're they're not secure, and ultimately, uh, you know, the, the the latest buzzword is they're not resilient, right? It's uh, you know, internet goes down, power goes out, suddenly your door lock doesn't work, right? Your uh, your your camera stops working, you, you lose connectivity. It's like no, oh I. My uh, my if this and that I can't get to it. And right? you think your ISP is like slowing you down, right? Yeah, because yeah, of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like crap, that, that's our ISP. <laughs> so yeah, it's they're they're not resilient, they're not robust, they're not secure, right? I heard it. I heard it today in a presentation. I thought it was hilarious, right? So the you know everybody knows what IoT is. Yeah, the S stands for security. <laughs> Well, the other thing, too, is if you take a look at um, maybe not so much IoT, but those types of systems that are SCADA-focused, ICS-focused, they, they are so critical in terms of their communication that if you even make a modification to try and secure the channel, it could wind up having a devastating impact on just the performance of the system. So a lot of people on the design side, um, I actually, uh, there's a, a very good uh, speech that was given by... Um, uh, by one of the UAH uh, groups uh, during the Cybersecurity Summit. Uh, Thalgo uh, produced and talked about his research he relative awesome. to that. And I think he's amazing. Yeah, he, he has absolutely um, created something that's wonderful in terms of being able to teach people about the types of security issues that need to be considered and think about redesigning the way uh, we do things relative to the SCADA side. So uh, hopefully within the near you know, future, we'll start to see you know, new protocols, new methods of uh, being able to secure those things. All right, let's uh, move on to our last story. Uh, the Bank of Chile has become the latest victim in a string of cyber attacks targeting the payment transfer system of banks. The country's largest bank was hit on 24 May and thousands of workstations hobbled. The ransomware attack was well documented locally and the bank has apologized for disruptions, which ran into days. Hackers reportedly use a variant of the complex kill disk wiper malware to distract attention before targeting systems linked to the SWIFT interbank transfer network. During the weekend, uh, Bank of Chile CEO Eduardo Orego appeared to confirm this, reportedly telling Chilean business paper El Polso that the attackers had stole, stolen 10 million from the bank and that this organization had disabled 9,000 workstations to stop the virus's spread before spotting unusual transactions on the bank's local society for a worldwide interbank financial telecommunications network, which is known as SWIFT. He also reported uh, to El Pulso that the virus was not necessarily the underlying issue, but apparently a means for the attackers to defraud the bank. He said no customers had been affected. The assault followed the same pattern as a recently uh, unsuccessful attack that uh, trashed computers at a Mexican bank but did not result in any financial losses. Both assaults followed the MO and used tools linked to the infamous Lazarus Group, aka Hidden Cobra, a hacking crew blamed for the 81 million cyber heist on funds held by the Central Bank of Bangladesh, the 2014 attack on Sony Pictures, and much more. Intel agencies and private cybersecurity firms are pointing the finger of blame towards North Korea. Moscow-based group IB went even further in alleging that the Lazarus Group was controlled by Bureau 121, a division of the Reconnaissance General Bureau, a North Korean intelligence agency. 
The suggestion is that Lazarus' group was active despite a rapprochement in relations between North Korea and the West that has led to peace talks in Singapore this week. Meanwhile, Trend Micro stated that the wiper variant involved in the May attack in Chile was connected to the foiled heist in Mexico in January. Ofer is really the chief exec of Elusive Network, said he believed the Lazarus group was both uh, behind the latest cyber attack in Chile and likely to strike other banks. Targeting financial organizations is part of their long-term strategy and compromising global financial networks through small to medium-sized banks in Central and South America, whose cyber defenses may be less sophisticated, poses a higher probability of success, he said. The next Bangladesh heist is imminent unless the entire financial ecosystem does its utmost to minimize the attack surface and proactively detect attacks on the entry points. So um, not just us over here in the U.S., but all over. You need, you need those experts, and yeah. you know you got to pay for them. You need those resources. You need those people with skills. Or your stuff's going to walk away just like that. I like how it said that uh, none of the customers were affected, but yeah. probably all the customers yeah, that pay on. for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so customers always wind up paying for it uh, when everything is said and done. But we'll see you know, how they wind up doing it. But if you don't have at least some level of detection or identifying that those things are happening, of course, good effective hackers are going to do everything they can not to be seen um, but there are going to be those that are not going to be effective uh, if you just at least have some um, some level of defensive capability within your network or within your organization yeah we're operating in a dimension that uh, wasn't naturally created we made it right we have no natural senses right you know, you, you need tools right you need tools you need people in the right place uh, you got to build that cyber nervous system for your organization, uh, or you're completely oblivious. You don't even know what's going on, right? It, it, it's like the the term breach, right? They breach, right? It's, it's like it sounds like a SWAT team's coming through the door and <laughs> and taking everybody out and you know dragging them out and arresting them, and it's like and they're gone, right? They don't breach. They exploit and then become co-owners, <laughs> they right? Take, right? They become you <laughs> and they sit there until you find them, right? And you, you find that one little thing that went wrong. You go, oh, crap, we got breached. Well, uh-oh. Yeah, now it's forensic right time, right? <laughs> well, and if you guys have experienced this, um, some of the things I've seen with, with customers who have had uh, issues relative to ransomware in particular, and this case reminded me of it, um, they actually have full service help desks. Once you've actually been um, hit with a piece of ransomware, um, yeah, to communicate business. to communicate with our help desk, our, our help desk will be more than happy to process your yeah. you know your Bitcoin or your cryptocurrency. And uh, as soon as that happens, we'll go ahead and, and decrypt your your yeah, files talk, and identify. Yeah, they things. talked about this um, last year at RSA that this is a, a total business. They have help desk. Sure. Um, there are even um, uh, lawyers and law companies that are buying <laughs> uh, cryptocurrency. Yes. J just so they could pay. Uh, they That's could right. pay. That's right. Oh, my yeah. goodness. That's yeah. right. And you think about it, it's, it almost uh, reminds me of the, the things that used to be thrown around years ago about the people that were, um, you know, developing antivirus capabilities. A lot of folks were kind of on the other side, too, helping develop some of those things. And, oh, well, by the way, we can also um, now this was 
running ramped it as far as like which organizations were doing what stuff. But the bottom line is it's, it almost seems like the same thing. You know, you've got a bunch of organizations that see that now as a business capability and going to have to look at it as a, as a potential support for their customer base. It's unfortunate because we could be spending our times on uh, our time on so many other really valuable things, but unfortunately this is what we're dealt with. So, but can we still dial zero and get to an operator? <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. So with that, we're going to close it out. Um, Carrie, uh, what do you have going on uh, coming up for uh, North Alabama, North Alabama chapter of ISSA? So we've got uh, we've got a sponsor coming in, uh, Sword and Shield. They had uh, they had a pretty cool booth, right? Mm -hmm. it looked like a video game, a knight with a sword backlit. It was awesome. But they're coming in for uh, for lunch. Uh, they're going to provide that to everybody. We're going to have some door prizes. Then on the twenty first is the public unveiling of our new effort called We Learn Technology. And you can see our new website for that up at welearntechnology.com. Uh, it's just a, a meetup. Uh, so ISSA is providing pizza, food, uh, raspberry pies, uh, training lessons. We've got a portable range that we're developing. We've got uh, some raspberry pi uh, radio meshes that we're working on. But Basically, if you're interested in something in technology, you want to mess with Cali, you never messed with it, come on out, talk to us about it, join somebody's project, bring your own project. There's probably an expert in the room to help you. And um, what website do, do they go to to see all the events coming up? So that's uh, North Alabama Chapter of ISSA. So it's nac-issa.org. And I, not I noticed you have um, something else coming up really big, Rocket Secure version oh, 2. Oh, yeah, Rocket Secure. Two. Oh, man, I'd be re remiss uh, to uh, not mentioning that. So that'll be right here at Calhoun. It's a one-day conference, right? We call it uh, high-density, rapid, blinking-you'll-miss-it, right? It's like a rocket launch. So uh, we had about 200 people show up at our first one last year, and uh, we have it in October. So this will be October 26th here in the Rocket City at Calhoun Community College. Uh, we're going to fill up the rooms here. We're going to have all kinds of classes for people to learn, uh, and uh, it'll be one day. It'll be great. All right, Jason, what do you got going on? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this month has it's been fantastic so far, but uh, I'll actually be uh, supporting uh, Rocket Secure. I'm very excited. Awesome. We're going to be doing uh, we're going to be doing forensics analysis for uh, the students that are coming in, um, actually show them how to be able to identify issues on uh, disk images, how to pull those off, go through some uh, forensic analysis utilize some of the more uh, effective tools and so forth. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, in addition, uh, as far as on the uh, teaching side, we've got a number of different um, uh, uh, events that we're supporting through our um, uh, synergies with both Calhoun Community College and UAH coming up. Uh, so we'll be teaching some classes relative to that. Um, and then also we've got a lot of activities coming up for uh, some new blockchain courses uh, that people can uh, can sign up for. Uh, they can go out to our website at uh, focalpoint-security.com and uh, you can find out information about there. You can get in contact with us. Um, so we're looking forward to kind of hosting uh, uh, those and seeing how things go. All right. Sounds good. And um, everyone, thanks for tuning in and thanks for staying in sync with InfoSec Sync. InfoSec Sync has been brought to you by VicTech, established to provide fast and reliable technologies for the U.S. intelligence community and Department of Defense. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net. <laughs>